the third Window from the right Two flights up By the third Window from the right Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this show is a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan being me and the man being Adam himself. Hello, hello. (laughs) Hello, sir. Um, I'll just come straight out the gate and let people know if I do sound a little bit different this month. um, I woke up today with a horrible, horrible cold. Um, so yeah, I just feel a bit bunged up and <laughs> so if, if I sound a bit congested or if you hear me sniffing, I apologize. Uh, we couldn't really reschedule, could we? No, unfortunately, you know, uh, maybe I would have gotten sick next, you know, that's a problem with kids, you know, they go to kindergarten and then everyone's sick for about a week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the circle of life. But yeah, like this is actually our second episode this month, which is pretty cool. After our awesome Anoda episode with Arthur Harari, um, yeah, it was such. I was really. A, um, I listened to it back myself, actually, uh, which is rare. I mean, I barely watch uh, a lot of films back or, or listen to this back, and I uh, listen to that back because it's just. I, I he's such a fantastic talker, and it's a really insightful episode. That's it. Yeah, and I think hopefully some people have discovered the film now, but obviously it'll be coming out uh, next month anyway, so people can pick it up then. Um. I guess, I mean, we're here today to talk about Zoki, which is your new new Blu-ray release, which I, I'm actually really excited to talk about because it's, it's a great film. But I thought maybe we should start by um, commenting on some news that's happened since we last recorded. <laughs> Obviously, it's a bit kind of uh, close to your heart in some ways, as you, you, know, you know a lot of the people involved. Yeah, I mean, the, the Japanese film industry is very insular, especially in the independent film industry, and especially even more in this sort of workshop. I mean, you, you might have heard this uh, term workshop come up a lot, uh, which is has a lot to do with these these uh, allegations, which are, in essence, so these sort of super independent film projects that are made by actors paying to be in a workshop that ends up being a film. And this uh, whole situation had to do with um, Red, Red Post on Escher Street, which was a workshop film that... Uh, Shion Sono directed, and uh, I believe this person um, who has been making the most allegations, who started to film this Me Too movement uh, here, was part of that workshop, if I remember correctly, and therefore he w- saw something, uh, well, he experienced as, he's, he's I guess, um, and an, an, I've been working in America for so long, and uh, he experienced what it's like in Japan and realized, or came to see that Japan is, uh, well, it's very old-fashioned to say the to, to, better, yeah, to sure. say anything yeah I mean I, I woke up and saw the news and obviously my heart just sank because Sion Sono is you know, one of my favourite directors and I've loved his films for years and when you see these kind of allegations come up the first thing you always have to kind of think is you, you believe the victims and you believe the the story until it's proven otherwise Um but yeah, I mean, I don't know how it's going in Japan because, like I said, we only get the the kind of dripping of, of news through. I think Japan Times seems to be posting a lot of articles, um, and it seems like there's a lot of people surrounding Sono that are getting uh, really shot down. Like there were some really bad eggs around there, apparently. I think. 
Well, it all actually started off um, slightly before Sono with a director called Hideo Sakaki, who um, was actually one of the actors from the film Versus. And that film had, and that sort of from that maybe extreme era of Japanese cinema that had a lot of connections with things like Sushi Typhoon and um, people like Takasaguchi, Shion Sono. Obviously, if you watch a lot of those movies, I mean, they're quite, uh, well, they're chauvinistic to, to say the least. But, um, sure. you know, that the industry and a lot of people behind them as well. I mean, if a lot of those those directors who worked um, for Sushi Typhoon had come from the adult video industry, like uh, Noboru Iguchi and things like that. They were all um, porno directors before. So it obviously compounds the situation. And, you know, I think this, this uh, uh, with Sasakaki and um, Kinosta Hoka, who was one of the actors who um, was, was talked about uh, be- just slightly before Sono Sion, I think it's just become a tidal wave of just catch, catching up, Japan catching up with the rest of the world, to be honest. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> Japan's very old fashioned and, you know, sexual harassment is very common in the workplace and has been. I think if there's any director or any person in their 60s like Shion Sono is or from that era, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't uh, sexually done sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, from whether it be a film director or in or in music or, or in um, in just major companies. Um it's a uh, yeah, a very toxic, uh, <laughs> toxic situation that um, I'm glad this uh, American has uh, brought to life um, because I don't think a Japanese uh, could do it. Uh, it's uh, you need somebody from outside to see how how bad it is, and I saw that initially, and that's why you know when we made this from Low Life Love, we were sort mm. of you know it was sort of like a documentary, but it wasn't obviously as as critical or or um, heavy as uh, it could have been because we sort of wanted to. Um, make the film watchable yeah. and uh, and uh, you know but the director and I had seen so many terrible things and and actually a lot of the people that we based the the, the movie on ended up being uh, brought up into this me too movement as well and very ironically Kinosta Hoka starred in the film as <laughs> as a, a producer who did all these bad things and in real life he was doing it though that was obviously unbeknownst to us um so you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's a really uh, awful awful um, environment for anybody, male or female, to be honest. Um, and hopefully, this changes it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Me Too movement completely changed the film industry in Hollywood. So you might be looking at a massive, massive change to the Japanese film industry as well. I think uh, one of the not things that the industry, hopefully, one the, Japan. One of the things that the um, I, I've completely forgotten his name. Sorry, but the guy who started all the the tweets about it. Um, he was saying how silent the studios are being and, you know, they're just, they're not stepping forward and, and saying anything. They're just sort of hiding behind their closed doors. I thought that was quite interesting because as you say, a lot of these are small, independent, tiny little budget things, but actually the studios behind it too, that are probably even worse. Well, if you have to, if you, um, I mean, the studios are all connected to everybody. I mean, and that includes all the management agencies. And for example, uh, with um, Sakaki Hideo, I heard from many managers of actresses who would say that they wouldn't let their actress out of their sight when she was anywhere near Hideo Sasaki because they knew that she might get raped. I mean, I mean, that is the type of things that managers were saying. And instead of speaking out about it, they just made sure to be with their actresses at all time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. but this, this is, we're talking about this has been going on for years. So, but those management 
are all connected these big studios as well. I mean, it's just the whole of Japan in essence. I mean, uh, Japan is uh, awful and in and their respect and and um and obviously the film industry and especially the independent film industry where people have so little money, it's all almost like the the directors feel that I, I mean I'm not going to condone them, but like they they feel that this is maybe they think that they think that this is their payment for not getting actually any real payment or not being able to real live a real life that they have to use their only position of power is to get what they want i guess uh maybe that, would wow. that be women or, or anything it's just it's it's awful uh, and um yeah low life life was a very sort of uh charm not charming but um a sort of nice look at it a very po- not positive yeah. but um it's a com- it comedic look yes comedic look at, at what uh is so common in, in the industry yeah oh that's so dark well look i mean it's this is all still ongoing and i'm sure you know by the time we record the next episode there'll be even more to talk about but yeah i just wanted to get your two thoughts of it as you're you're over there experiencing it all in real time you know yes <laughs> Okay, well, look, let's put that behind us for now. <laughs> and let's talk about this new film, Soki, um, which is, it's a bit mad. You you kind of said to me, I'm going to release it straight after uh, Funky Forest because I think it's going to go well together. And that kind of put in my mind, right, I'm going to get ready for some real silly fun here. And it wasn't exactly what I was expecting, which is cool. I mean, there's definite similarities in the fact that, you know, there's these three uh, talented director, actor kind of guys who are are, are directing like this omnibus of, of stories and they all kind of interconnect and weave together. But really, this is this is a kind of more dramatic, you know, almost like, uh, like, like a darker comedy, I suppose, than, than I was expecting. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, actually, when I first saw it, I had a bit of a different reaction to it um, than when I re-saw it uh, the other day. And and yes, I, it, it was a, a little more of a drama than I expected. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of really black, dead, super deadpan comedy in it that that depending on the mood you're in, can or the way or the the way you are as a person and the way you maybe know Japanese culture as well, you can look at a different light and you can sort of enjoy more. But but yes, obviously the similarities maybe are more to something like Taste of Tea than they yes. are um, to Funky Forest. But I released Taste of Tea a year ago and and Funky Forest uh, is just now. But I thought it would be maybe not obviously uh, so much of a companion piece, but maybe something within the same world world or you could you could say um yeah. more than onod or something like that sure no you're right there i mean japanese humor in general is quite unique isn't it so like it's often quite intelligent i find but definitely quirky definitely deadpan like you said um lots of kind of slapstick stuff as well that kind of really makes me laugh um absurdist stuff uh, sometimes like genuinely quite shocking stuff as well. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Um, and yeah, Zoki kind of has it all, which is great. I mean, yeah, I want to go into it in more depth, of course, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think if you saw my tweet about it, when I watched it, um, I really enjoyed it as I was watching it, but then I slept on it and I woke up the next morning still thinking about it and it just made me like it even more. And I kind of like that. It's not just a throwaway film to make you giggle. It actually has got some like depth to it. Um, 
yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it does hold up on on, on repeat, repeat viewings quite well. In fact, better um, the the second time you watch it. Uh, or yeah, it, I think it also has to do yes with the, with the, your perceptions going in, uh, the mood you're in. Um, but I, I think it's quite a, a unique film. Um, it's it's also strange the way that, that it was made and its connections uh, to, to this manga and uh, Ohashi, the the guy who created uh, Ongaku R Sound, which is one of my favorite films of last year. Did you see that uh, film? Uh, yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I really loved that as well. And he's, he's got quite a unique sensibilities. And the way that it was brought to life um, with these three actors who... Um, Takenaka Naoko, Naoto had directed a couple of films before, like Yamagata Scream, but they, they were never really very well known outside of Japan, even or even within Japan. And Saito Takumi, who's more like a sort of, he's not a terribly good actor, to be honest. Um, I think he's actually a, a terrible actor. Um, or he's he's cast in he's he's been a sort of um te- he was very became famous from being like a sort of a the pinup in a in a like a, a drama that Housewives used to watch. Mm-hmm. So he gets typecast a lot in 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 those sort of uh, films and shows, but he personally is a massive film lover and uh, really likes doing strange roles. Um, by like when he does, he even though he's this huge star, I mean he's the the, the face of Ultraman, the new um, yeah 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 uh, Shin Ultraman, yeah yeah Shin Ultraman. But um, actually, he likes appearing in these like super indie films where he plays like really twisted characters because I think he just likes to do the complete opposite of what he's always cast as. And he made a brilliant film called Blank 13 a few years ago, which which I really, really loved. Um uh he directed it and, and also starred in it. But um yeah he's uh you know the combination of the three these three personalities and Yamada Takuyuki is one of the biggest names in Japan. Um mm. and, and obviously is well known for for the naked director which uh, Uchide Eiji um director of Low Life Love made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was also in um, Takashi Miike's Thirteen Assassins too, which is one of my favorite remakes of all time. So was so, so was Saito Takumi, and I believe maybe even Takanaka Naoko. Naoto. Was <laughs> Were they all in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you, I, I may have made a mistake there, but I, I believe at least uh, Saito Takumi was. Well, with uh, Takayuki Yamada, um, this is actually his directorial debut, isn't it? Which is pretty cool. Yeah, I believe so. But he does a lot of like work with with um producing and also getting helping getting projects out the ground i mean like like saito takumi he's this big 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 name in japan for one thing but in his sort of personal likes he's does the complete sort of opposite of what he's always typecast as uh and and that's why he's such an interesting character because it's it's rare to have um have people like that in in japan which is such a sort of old fashioned and uh and control controlled society yeah, for sure. I mean, I was looking up, um, is it uh, Takenaka Naoto? Na- yeah, Naoto. Naoto, Naoto. Naoto. Um, and yeah, apparently like he'd done like some pretty successful independent films in the 90s. Uh, like uh, one called Nowhere Man, one called 119, one called Tokyo Biori. Um are those ones that you've I've seen? seen? No, yeah. I don't. I don't think I've. I mean, I've. I've heard of. I think I researched uh, his name because I. I remember him saw. Yeah, his film Yamagata Scream, but which which, I, I was a very quirky, super low budget, like sort of horror comedy. But right. uh, I don't remember those ones. But I do obviously know him. He's, he's a big name actor. He's in a lot of Mike films, um, like the Shinjuku, 
uh, Triad trilogy, as well as um, obviously the Tsukamoto Shinya films like Gemini and Hiroko the Goblin. Uh, he's a very, and he used to sing as well. I mean, like sort of, he did this one like joke record where the cover is like the same as Michael Jackson's um, Thriller, I believe it is, uh, right. where he's got the white shirt and he's like, like, uh, uh, or and he's like sort of like sloping down uh, mm. uh i think it's thriller but um yes uh he's he's also he's a very famous comedian as well i mean he's a he's a big name nice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for sure okay well look basically should we go into the film then um because yeah i think even though it is an omnibus and these three guys have you know taken on different aspects of the story uh i thought the whole thing was a lot more seamless than um than maybe the the funky forest or you know other other omnibuses like that because there's a kind of um, I don't know I think maybe because they're all working from the same script because the script is written by one person isn't it I believe. yeah yeah and it's based on a bunch of different stories by this guy um, what was his name sorry is it Ohashi oh, 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 yes yeah which again I haven't read the manga but the second I finished the film I was like I need to find this. I think it's, it's Zoki A and Zoki B, right? I think there's two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two. I haven't read it, but but those are the, they're, they're the two two volumes, I believe. Nice, but yeah, like the unifying theme of the the piece seems to be like I don't know because there's an opening scene with this old man with his granddaughter, and uh, he's talking about secrets and lies, isn't it? Like secrets he's kept in his lifetime. Yeah, and 230, sort of like, I believe. Yeah, how many yeah. secrets? Do you have any secrets? And it's like 230, and she's like spits her milk out because she's shocked, um, which is a pretty cool way of opening the film. But yeah, they're, 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 there's five different stories. I mean, do you have a personal favorite? I don't know if we want to go through them all one by one because we're kind of spoiling it before people get a chance to see the film. Exactly. I mean, uh, actually, as as you mentioned, you wouldn't really even know that there were sort of five different stories. I mean, there's different characters that all sort of exist in this world, but but you wouldn't know that it was an omnibus. I guess. I mean, it just like it's 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 the least omnibusy of of any omnibus film out there. I think you would you you could think that it was just directed by one one director, and um, I guess that's that's uh, you know having all these characters within one one universe. From, from the script and the manga. But I love, obviously, Ryuhei Matsuda because, um, you know, Toyota Toshiaki. And I think because the film is really sort of deadpan, um, I think, obviously, he's got the best face for deadpan because he's, <laughs> he's always deadpan, that guy. He totally is. I, uh, I couldn't stop smiling when I saw him show up. Because, yeah, basically, his little story is he's this kind of quiet loner guy, lives by himself, keeps to himself. And... Uh, one day he decides to just take his little kind of push bike, his little commuter bike, um, and just go on a, a kind of road trip journey of self-discovery, isn't it? Um, although I don't think he actually calls it that. <laughs> I think he just wants to go and get out and do something. But he just starts cycling just to see what happens. Um, and he he arrives at this kind of seaport town um, where he meets Jun Kunimura, who's just a local fisherman. Um, who in, ends up inviting him in for a meal, uh, which turns out to be his birthday that his mates have all set up. And it just goes a bit crazy from there. Um, yeah, and also on the way, you know, the, the main connector of the film, you know, the film is all just just male characters uh, for the most part. And yet when he's biking along, he finds a he crashes and finds a porn magazine. Or he doesn't crash, <laughs> but he, uh, he finds a porn magazine. And that 
actress from the porn magazine is sort of like this sort of strange connector to all the stories. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's always in in every story there's some connection to this this porn actress that has retired. And the 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 funny thing about that is um that porn actress in real life who also is about is just retired herself is um called Nanami Kawakami, and she was we I. We, I mean, Ichida Eiji and I gave her her break in a, in non porn, which was a low life love, ah. and she walked down the red carpet of the Tokyo Film Festival as like the first porno actress doing porn at the same time to walk on the red carpet of the Tokyo Film Festival, and it became a bit of a, <laughs> a shock. But she's she's a fantastic actress and ended up becoming uh, very well known. And Uchida Eiji put her in the naked director as the main story arc of episode four. And, and obviously that's the uh, Yamada Takeyuki connection there. And yeah. he, he was also a fan of low life love himself. And he cast her into, into this film and, and made her this sort of like co- connecting segment uh, that she's only in the film in, in essence as, as photos for the most part, with the exception of like a small cameo at the end, but it's an interesting sort of like this, just this porn actress that connects all these stories. A hundred percent. Yeah. She's, she makes a big impression doing very little in the film. <laughs> exactly, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting what you said, though, about being, it's it's mainly from the male perspective. That's really true. Because whilst it is about secrets and lies, it also seems to be quite a lot about this kind of lust, this lustfulness that we have. Because one of the other stories is um, there's this kind of nerdy high school boy who doesn't really have any friends or girlfriend or anything like that. And suddenly he makes friends with this kid um played by i think it joe is it joe cujo cuyo um mm. <laughs> something like yes just i i can't really he's very strange very strange young man like he just one of his phrases he keeps saying is i want to die and he just keeps writing it places and stuff he's like a very odd little guy but they become fast friends and the kid keeps saying to him i how much he loves his sister his older sister and the guy doesn't have an older sister, <laughs> but because he doesn't want to lose his friend, he kind of keeps up the the pretense that he has this older sister who he fancies. And it's just this really weird, surreal. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's a really beautiful little friendship thing. Um, and I won't go into what happens next because that really is kind of amazing. Um, but it ends up being one of the, the greatest payoffs in the whole film isn't it like that that story arc the thing is is that they're all sort of like you know the guess the connection to funky forest is we're talking about it's a bit perverts uh, hentai you know um all these tales have to do with hentai but they the the difference to funky forest is that it's done in a really sort of as you say like sort of beautiful and charming way they tell these stories of like friendship and and their coming of age stories but like sort of the underlying is is just like some strange perversion uh that, yes. cut, that, that pays off at the end whether it be with a matsuda Ryuhei, like uh you know trying to touch uh some girl's bum while he's on the bike you know trying to like it's just all these sort of strange yeah hentai type situations that but it's told in sort of like a beautiful way so you don't really get that sort of like obvious hentai you know going back to sort of uh obvious hentai obvious pervert uh talk of funky forest yeah i mean the guys also all come across as pretty like uh, pathetic rather than like dangerous, don't they? <laughs> yes, uh, more charming puppets. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, my personal favorite of the piece, although, as, I, as you said, I love um, Matsuda Rie, but there's this kid um, who begs his dad, who's played by um, uh, Pistol Takahara, mm. um, begs him to take him to this amusement park. Um, but his dad instead takes him. <laughs> I forget why he explains he wants to do it, but he takes him to his old high school um, to steal the punching bag from the school gym, from the boxing room. And so they're in there at night stealing this thing. And then all of a sudden the film turns into like this J horror thing, which I was like absolutely blown away by. I like, I loved it because it's basically this mannequin that they see in the window sort of comes to life and starts like not really chasing them, but definitely like trying to make contact with them. And it, it was just really creepy and still very funny and actually really touching in the end when you kind of see what they're trying to do with it. Um, but I was like blown away by it. And I was like, wow, I want to see, I want to see a J-horror from this guy because uh, like, you know, maybe a, a new Tomi or something, you know, the, <laughs> um, the Junji Ito Tomi films. Because yeah, I just I thought it was really good. Like it didn't have to be that good. It could have just been a little more comedic. But they, he actually took it really seriously. Yeah, I, I think that actually probably is the best the best uh, segment of the film. Um, and yeah, that, that's a uh, Takanaka Naoto that behind the camera there. And yeah, he he, he does have uh, done a lot of those sort of like uh, horror comedy things. But yes, in this case, I think like all the parts of the film, they're incredibly quirky and strange and surreal. But at the same time quite like uh, charming yeah. a slice of life uh, and and I think that's also quite a heartwarming tale of like a father and, and son bonding within a ghost story um it's it's a really good segment uh, I, I think uh, actually I just this is completely going back to the the uh, birthday party thing um I just remembered that um actually it's a completely off topic uh, but in that birthday party there's a, a guy that comes in who's just been let out of jail uh, yeah, Pierre, Pierre, Pierre Tacky. Tacky. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know the funny thing about that, and, and what is also, you know, there are these these sort of interesting parts of it to like like with uh, Nanami Kawakami, the porn actress who just uh, left porn, that are connected to real life, and and in that case, he has actually just was was really was arrested a few yeah. years ago for cocaine, was, right? For cocaine, and that was yeah. just around the, the Toyota Toshiaki time, just before him. And it sort of started, you know, in Japan, I've mentioned this before, like the police like to sort of make examples. Every few years, they make, try to make examples of famous people so that it's, it's showing, you know, like Japan is tough on drugs, don't do drugs and all that. And they, they tend to arrest people for, for very small amounts of, of any drugs or substance and, and make a mm. big uh, show, show and dance of it. But yes, he, he was arrested and his career was, in essence, uh, ruined until this point. And uh, he played a character who had also just gotten out of jail and uh, put into this sort of strange situation. So it's it's uh, interesting that they're connecting this like zoki world of strange characters with the real world in, in many different examples. Man, yeah, completely. I mean, I was reading into all that 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 whole story because um, Taki was in uh, a video game called Judgment. I don't know if you are you not a big gamer, are you? No, no. It's a, it's an, a kind of spin off of the Yakuza games uh, by Sega, um, and yeah, so uh, his his appearance was completely taken out of the Western release of the game because of this really? arrest. 
Um, and so when I read that, I was like, right, I need to read more into this. Um, and then, yeah, he actually admitted to the cocaine use. Um, and then he was sentenced to 18 months in prison, which is suspended for three years. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, he, he, was, um, he was the voice of Olaf in Frozen in Japan. It was a and big name. It was a very big name. But they went back and retroactively re-recorded and took him out of it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the films that, that were scheduled to be released at the time were all cancelled. I mean, uh, and it cost the studios a lot of money. I mean, do you know how many? I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure about these days, but do you know how many Hollywood actors are doing cocaine on the regular in the US? <laughs> like, and nothing and, ever happens to any of them. And when those things, you know, like with Kate Moss and, and all that, you know, when she was filmed uh, and, and the, the guy from the band that she was, uh, was a Libertine. Yeah, Pete, like that, Pete that. Doherty. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, he, they got more more promotion uh, when they were caught doing that. I mean, uh, in, in Japan, it's it's the complete opposite. And it's not like we're talking about like, uh, you know, blatantly doing drugs in the way that those people were. I mean, we're talking about uh, very, very small, small things. Um and really, really arrested and put on trial for the public in, in a way that, that sort of uh, killed their careers. Yeah, it's crazy to see. But so this was filmed after all of that, right? So he's kind of, is he getting back on track now? Yeah, well, no, no. I'm, he's, but the thing about this film and, and the way those the three names I was mentioning, they're such big names. And they're at the same time, they're also sort of like anti-establishment in a way. Um, right. Like somebody like Takashi Kitano. Takashi Kitano is, you know, one of the biggest names in Japan, but he's also like really a sort of anti-establishment and attacks like uh, politicians. And, and, and I think only a few people in Japan can do that. And these three directors are so big, but also, like I said, anti-establishment, that they're able to do what they want, in essence. And, and this was, was an example of a film that I guess they wanted to do and they didn't care or they would have gotten the money one way or another. It's not that big of a budget of a film either. And they just put their, their, their people they wanted to put in it. So um, hmm. he was able to get, get back on track with that, but, but playing the role <laughs> of obviously on purpose of, of somebody who's just gotten out of jail. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I love that though. I mean, there's like that sort of meta humor. Like I don't know if anyone in the UK or the US will know that aspect of his past, so they won't get that uh, that aspect of this joke, you know, this kind of meta humor within the piece. But um, so it's good that we're talking about it, I think, and hopefully people people will look into it a bit more now and as they're watching the film. Yeah, it's it's, it's very very well layered uh, in, in that respect, and I think that's why it does hold up on on repeat viewings because there are these sort of uh, in jokes that, that you can you can catch here and there. Definitely, I mean, one of the most interesting aspects of the film for me was how the stories were connected Um, because it's quite clever they kind of do it through various locations um, where they cross over like for example um, uh, Ryue Matsuda um, is in this 7-Eleven at the same time as when the schoolboy is buying women's underwear um, to kind of prove that he has a sister that doesn't actually exist (laughs) And he kind of sees him buying the underwear and just gives him a knowing nod, like, I see you're doing something weird, but I respect your right to do it or something like that. And he just legs it out of the store. That was amazing to me. Um, and there's one was- actually oh. scene that I just, uh, just talking about that, that one segment in the, in the convenience shop. And I just only noticed this the second time I watched it, where when Ryuhei Matsuda is paying for his, um, his purchase, the 
cast person behind the cash register looks like a, a woman, but right. it's actually a guy. But you don't realize that until they open their their until the, he opens his mouth, and the way that it's shot, you have this perspective of like Ruhei Matsuda looking at what he thinks is a woman and like eyeing her up. So there's all these shots of like her, her, his neck or her, her, what he thinks is her neck. And like, mm-hmm. and it's a very seductive, like, because he's, he's got these sort of like perverted thoughts inside of him. And then when he opens up his mouth, he's, it's, it's sort of, it's a guy and he's like, Oh, oh I've been like, like looking at this thinking it's a yeah, woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I wonder because, you know, Japan has that sort of very androgynous, um, features and in fact him himself played in that film Gohato the the um gay yeah. samurai film as that very androgynous character and you know I wonder so much if westerners pick up on that gag or not I mean uh I myself it took me two two times to watch to pick it up but there those small little gags also I think uh are, are worth uh yeah a rewatch just for find them no I definitely got that I mean at the moment I'm watching um the anime series Jujutsu Kaisen, which is just absolute. I know you don't, you're not a big anime fan, but it is so fucking good. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of androgynous characters in that. So I definitely was picking up on that through the film. Um, but yeah, there's, there's one more uh, like interlinking story that I really loved. And it's the next door neighbor of the Ryore Matsuda. And there's a kind of running gag about he's always slamming his door. And so loudly, which is quite funny. But yeah, he kind of works alone in a video shop and he he writes notes to himself every day, doesn't he? So as he leaves at night, he writes a note saying good morning, just so someone greets him because that's the only contact he has, you know, throughout the day. And um, again, it's this kind of sad existential, you know, weirdly touching scene of of like, I don't know, loneliness, I guess. Um yeah, I found it so interesting. But then, yeah, you get the the woman coming through uh, with, with her baby in the in the thing, and he's just like peeking at her through the th- through the cupboards and stuff. Very strange. Well, that that woman is is yeah Nanami Kawakami, and uh, yeah. you know, so it's 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 her after you know after quitting porn and and everyone. The whole film is connected by this woman who is obviously. You know, porn actresses, actresses, or 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 idols are thought of as being sort of like you know, uh, you know, go, go, like go, goddesses, and yet in the end, she's just uh, you know got her baby, and she's a, a normal woman looking for a video, a shop in the uh, a tape in the video shop. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, you know, the way that it sort of uh, you know turn, turns that on its side as well. You know, all these lonely characters, and they want somebody. They're all lusting after this. Uh, this person who's out of their reach, but she's just like normal person with a baby and picking up a tape in the video shop. Look, I really hope this, this film does well. I know. How did it do in Japan when it came out? Well, actually, you know, like I said, those people are such big names that it's going to, obviously the people in front of the camera are big names, but the people behind the camera are big names to the point that actually they made a feature length documentary that was played in theaters called Urazoki. And it's because the film was all done in this uh, in in Aichi, and um, it was sort of done with a lot of the support of the people from the town. And the, this this documentary sort of looks at the involvement of these big stars and the community. It's quite a sort of charming 
look behind the making of the film, and it's but it's been, the, the but this making of it's longer than the actual film itself. I was going <laughs> to put it on the on the on the Blu-ray, but uh, it was both too long and unsubtitled, and I didn't really want to. I didn't uh, think it, yes. would, it would it could work. Uh, but yes, they they make it a Zoki TV series now is out. Um, I haven't seen oh, it myself, yeah. but yeah, it's a spin-off TV series. Uh, so yeah, it's it's obviously you know do done quite well uh, or well enough to have a spin-off TV series and, and feature-length documentary. That's awesome. Is it the same guys involved as well, the three directors? I'm not actually sure, to be honest. I should have just re- researched it <clears throat> a little more before we uh, we spoke, but um, uh, it, can't, it can't be hard to... I can't... I, I wouldn't... Uh, if I think they're, they're obviously quite big and busy names, so I'm not sure if they'd have the, the time to do a, a, a 10 episode or something TV show, but it could be. Um, it's just You can look it up. Fair enough. I was going to ask you, actually, when it comes to releasing... Uh, films do you prefer these new new films that you're kind of putting out that people are just finding out for the first time or do you prefer the kind of legacy films that people are clamoring for you know when people are like oh my god i need the new obayashi um box set but their, their films are you know 10 20 30 years old um or something that's just come out a year ago to be frank you know the reason why i i started distribution is to um I got into distribution is to help films get out there. And I yeah. never wanted to release a film that would get out there anyway. And a lot of these sort of classic titles like the Tsukamoto's or, 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 or you know, a lot of the films actually that I've probably been recent, releasing recently, including maybe Funky Forest, for, for example, are titles that somebody, some company would put out. I mean, they're, they're, they're well known and people want to buy them. And that's why distributors pick them up so that because it's a business in essence because you don't want to put out something that nobody wants or, or nobody's asking for and I always thought that was a little too easy I guess um you know if somebody's going to put it out anyway then then why should I do it because uh the film will get out there and, and that's for the sake of the film that's fine but I always has always wanted to put out films that if I didn't put it out, then nobody would be able to put it out. And if you look, especially at my older catalog during mm. times when, um, obviously before Blu-ray, because Blu-ray is very expensive, like during the DVD releases, there were so many tiny films that like, I think I was the only person even today that have ever put those films out. Uh, you know, films like Kakera or like the Miki Satoshi films, uh, or some of them, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been years that I haven't really been, able to focus on on new titles mainly because there hasn't been that many new yeah. titles that I've wanted to put out um but I've always tried to at least balance it nowadays uh you know some classic titles that help keep the maybe even of course uh, keep the money coming in but also keep a sort of brand awareness um because you know in essence also with this film like if I hadn't put funky for funky forest Obviously, it's it's not so connected to this film, but in a way, it's 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 got some similarities. That you put that out a film that everybody knows about, and then maybe people who hadn't heard of Third Window films before, you know, check out Funky Forest, and then they see what's the next film? Or oh, it's this film Zoki. I don't know about it, but because I like Funky Forest, maybe I'll give it a go. It's like if you're DJing in a club, you can't just play like unrare, like completely unknown stuff all the time or people will leave the dance floor you need to have song big major songs to get people on the dance floor and then you can play what you want you have like uh, a few minutes to to put an unheard track in afterwards before you know yeah, you yeah, balance yeah. it up and you, have, you know that, that that's how it goes and um in that respect you know i've tried to put zoki in 
here, but uh, I wouldn't mind being able to uh, put out a little more new titles like this. Uh, but it's yes, it's, it just comes down to uh, what what's out there and what's what's uh, gettable as well. Yeah, that's really cool to hear that. I mean, I even put in my review of this film, I said it, it wasn't what I was expecting from the because I mean, I think you maybe pushed Funky Forest a bit too much to me because I was expecting that film again. Um, but I was like, it actually fits in perfectly with Adam's back catalogue. Like, it's it's wise, it's witty, it's like you know, life affirming kind of comedy. Um, and I think that's something you've done really well over the years. It's like brought all these films out. You know, um, one of our followers, um, Ben Jones, he messaged me recently and he said that um, he had an idea of this thing he was going to do, which was Third Window Thursday, which is like every Thursday he would pick um, a random release of yours from over the last God knows how many years and talk about it. And I said to him, I think I'm going to get involved with it. So we'll start to kind of go through your old back catalogue and start making people realize how much and how varied your films have been over the years, how much you've done for the, for the industry. I mean, I forget as well. I mean, I think if you do that, it'll be done pretty, pretty soon. There aren't that many releases. Uh, I mean, there's only about a hundred or so, but um, uh, when I, well, it, that's two I, years, I, man. That's a hundred <laughs> weeks. <laughs> oh, all right. Because I was doing that this, um, this, you know, in order, you know, in, in uh, things like Instagram and nowadays you always need, you know, co- you know, hashtag content as they say you need something to always keep talking about and and it's hard to always actually find new content when you only have a film out every month or a film out every two months so using yeah. things like like flashback friday or as a, as a as a hashtag and i was going through myself starting from from twf 001 and doing every week uh every friday for a while for quite a while i did that and then i i guess i i must have either ran out of titles or, or, or forgotten <laughs> to do it and then lost my rhythm. But but also, yeah, it re- reminded me of like some of the titles I did back in the days and I've actually forgotten about. And uh, I guess, the, yeah, there are quite a few titles out there. I mean, I had a few of your Blu-rays before we even started talking, but obviously since we've started the podcast, you've sent me loads over these months. Um so I've got plenty to get through, but there's also, I mean, some of them are discontinued now, right? There's just out of print. So uh, I don't even know how I'm going to get hold of them. Well, I probably have some, some at home, obviously, but yeah, I mean, unfortunately there are titles that I wouldn't mind having still in print or being able to upgrade to Blu-ray, but uh, it's just so hard to deal with Japanese companies. Like um, this, like I remember recently I tried to um, reacquire memories of Matsuko and Kamikaze girls because, uh, mm. You know, those have gone out of print. And Kamikaze Girls, especially, is a title that that I'm I think uh, could work with a new generation. And I bought those films 15 years ago or 14 years ago. Right now, I mean, quite a quite a quite a while that I bought them. And they were asking me like, it's our company policy that you pay 50 percent of the initial fee you paid for them to to renew them. But you know, a lot happens in 15, 15 years is a very long time. And like that was, we're talking about a time before Netflix and all that sort of stuff, you know, right, right, like right. the, the, the world has changed a lot and we're not even bringing in COVID and, and, you know, all these other situations that have changed the world even more. And yet like, there's no way that those films are worth 50% of what I paid for them back then. Like, because right. there's no way that the market is anywhere near those levels. And, I can't do that, but they're like, well, that's our that's our company policy. We can't stray away from our company policy, and I'm like, that's just the thing about Japan is like, like 
the company policy that was made 50 years ago just doesn't change, even if the whole world changes with it. And it really pisses me off all the time. Uh, it's just so frustrating because, like like you said, there are all these films that that could work again, but to a limited degree and not anywhere near the degree of what the prices they're asking for. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, both those films are incredible as well. Because um, you've got confessions as well by him as well, haven't you? And that also I tried to renegotiate with Toho when they were asking like, like, like those sort of like silly money, like Toho don't sell a film for under $10,000. And, and yes, maybe you don't know if $10,000 is a big amount or a large amount, but it is a, it is a big amount of money for a catalog Japanese niche title that has already sold to television and can't probably can't sell the television again. I can't play in theaters again. And therefore it's like, just like a, something that sells like 10 DVDs or 10 Blu-rays a month, you know, you, you'll never make your money back and uh but toho have this thing like where even if even you know they own the rights to a lot of like teriyama shuji films or like uh all these atg um catalog or even you know films like sogoishi's uh um crazy family that are these very small films and yet like distributors in smaller countries like mine can't pay ten thousand dollars for them because ten thousand dollars is a lot of money i mean that's the amount of money that i pay for like a brand new film like Onoda, like this sort of like big films that can play in theaters and sell mm. on television and all that. So, but that's their company policy. I mean, uh, you know, they won't do it for less than that. And it just, uh, it just, yeah, it kills the, the, the chance of like these, you know, thousands of Japanese great films from the past of getting out there again. Wow. Is there anything you've seen recently that you are getting excited about and trying to get involved in bringing out? I wonder, I mean, there are a few films because I'm also programming for some uh, film festivals. And uh, oh, cool. in that case, I'm looking at the at genre films that, that I, uh, but sometimes those are films that I might like for the festival and maybe distribution is a bit different. Like um, I saw this great film called uh, Let Me Hear It Barefoot, which is a fantastic like uh, indie film, but it's not really one that the distributors, it could work as distribution, but at the same time, I, I personally love it, or, or um, I mean, I, I think the uh, Shiraishi Kazuya, who did Blood of Wolves, he did this, mm. this film called Lesson in Murder, which is uh, something that I like a lot, but at the same time, you know, for distribution, it's a bit uh, more complicated. Uh, there's just all of those sort of films that I, I personally quite like, but I think for distribution might be harder. Uh, right. You know, otherwise, actually, the film that I'm quite looking forward to is a film called Rageaholic. Um, uh, whether it's it ends up being good or bad, I'm not sure. But um, there's um, a, a Japanese writer and a crazy guy called um, uh, Yoshiki Takahashi, I believe. Uh, I, I pardon, I've, I've, I've missed his name, but he uh, was was connected to Coldfish and a lot of those uh, sort of sushi typhoon type guys. But he's like proper film lover and film in g- critic as well, mm-hmm. and he's. It's his debut film as like a uh, a proper like genre horror slasher film, but by done done by somebody who really really knows their stuff. I think it it could be could be quite good, uh, but uh, you know we'll see. Uh, that, that but it's just one that I've I've heard about for two years, so I've been waiting uh, very eagerly, and hopefully I, I'm not uh, bigging it up too much in my head. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds so good. I mean, I've been on a bit of a Hong Kong kick recently because I know, like, in your past, you've released sort of Korean films, or uh, I don't know if you've ever done Chinese or 
Or Hong Kong, have you? Well, I've done. I've done obviously PTU, uh, the Hong Kong. Oh and I yes, did, of uh, course, yeah. You know, pa- actually, pa- uh, Pang Ho Chung, who did Bulgaria. I always wanted, loved. It. I mean, if you ever get the chance to watch his back catalogue of films, like uh, like uh, You Shoot, I Shoot, is one of the most original. I'd love to. Re- well, I don't want to talk about remakes because uh, I think people don't really like the word, but it's <laughs> the type of film that would be fantastic for for uh, a remake or. I did try to acquire the original years ago and it it never worked out. Um, but he's got loads of like super original films and Bulgaria was the only one that I was able to acquire because I think it was new when they wanted a distributor at the time. But things like me- films like Men Suddenly in Black and all that uh, are fantastic. But yeah, Hong Kong, I used to love, but I, I can't, uh, I haven't watched much in years because I, every one I watched was, was awful. Yeah, you just do Japanese now basically, don't you? Yeah, also or because, you know... <laughs> All French, French, Japanese, but it's just because you know because I'm based here. It's just easier that I do things like doing making doing the special features, and because I yeah. I can speak Japanese, you know, I can do the subtitles. It just saves so much more costs. Uh, if it was like a Korean or Hong Kong film, I'd have to obviously pay people to do subtitles and extra features, and it would end up being uh, just more expensive. And uh, you know, uh, maybe yeah, that, that's just why I think. No, I get it. I mean, I started. Um going through Fruit Chan's filmography. So, you know, his uh, Hong Kong handover trilogy. um, And then he's got this prostitution trilogy as well, which is astonishing. And then obviously he's got like genre stuff like dumplings. And so, yeah, that was amazing. And now I'm actually on Stephen Chow, um, which is... A million films there, yeah. Oh my God, that guy. But yeah, like revisiting stuff from my teens, like... (laughs) Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle is awesome. But then going back further and finding like um, the God of Cookery and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, from Beijing with Love. Yeah. Um, yeah They're amazing, those films. I mean, I, so good. If I had the time, I'd love to, to go back through myself because, uh, yeah, they're really, his whole catalog, I mean, is, I mean, up until probably the, the most recent ones. Uh, well, yeah, I saw The Mermaid as well, down. which was like. Did you? Was it any good? Well, yeah, it is. No, it's it's good. I think compared to his other stuff, I wasn't that enamored with it. But um, it's pretty bold, man. It's very funny. It's very silly. Um, but it's you can tell he's like furious at like the decimation of the oceans and the environment. Like it's really kind of biting satire on it. Um, so it gets quite dark at times. But it's also just like super funny. There's this scene in the police station where um, I've forgotten the lead guy's name now, but he's trying to explain to them how he's been kidnapped by a mermaid. And they're kind of like, can you describe what she looks like to us? And so he's kind of like, well, it's a a human on top and then a fish on the bottom. And you can see them sketching out and they keep putting up their little sketches and they're awful, just like really bad caricatures. It's so funny. I was just crying with laughter. So it yeah. It's funny. I, yeah. I met him once actually by, by just, just sheer coincidence. I was with Joey Lung from, from Terracotta and uh, we were in, we were in Hong Kong for the, for the film market and we were at a bar or something like that. Or, or I don't really remember where, where it was uh, or, or if it was a bar or if we were just having lunch. And we went into like the next room to like find the toilet. And like Stephen, Stephen Chow was there like playing pool wow. by himself. <laughs> and, and, I, and I got a picture with him, but he was really pissed off. And I think he was, well, obviously he was probably, um, you know, enjoying his, his playing pool by himself. Uh, and uh, yeah, oh, I, I, I have to dig it out somewhere. Like he was, 
it was it was quite yeah because just opened the door and like Stephen Chow's there in the next room playing pool it's quite surreal I'm so if I ever see anyone famous like that I'm so I can't get the guts to go and ask them for photos or anything I just get too cringe <laughs> we may have had a few drinks to be honest um, <laughs> fair enough oh that's awesome but yeah so I don't know I don't know what my next binge will be um so next month obviously so when when does Zocchi come out it's April 26th is it 25th 25th excuse me um and then what's upcoming what's what's in may so you i know you've got anoda coming out on blu-ray yeah so anoda's out on blu-ray on may the 16th and then um the actually uh, you know i was trying to acquire it's a summer film uh yes and i i able to acquire or or i was able to negotiate a price for the title but then they wouldn't allow me to use any of the bonus features right. and i wanted to release the film in summer and i would have had to make all these new bonus features and it wouldn't have worked in the for, in the time frame so I, I actually pulled out of the deal i, I don't know why they, it's such a, a stupid thing like uh the way that these like you have to get the permission from all the talents to, to use the bonus feature i mean it's just like stupid i mean really stupid japanese uh bureaucracy but um because of that i i was gonna have both uh summertime machine blues which was supposed to be in june and then like it's a summer film in like july or august and um uh, since it's a summer film fell out uh, i moved summertime machine blues to, to july so july 4th is a uh, summertime machine blues um and that's a really nice uh, uh release which i've got loads of really really good and exclusive extras including some short films nice um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. Well, okay. Well, we'll have to get our thinking caps on then because obviously we've already done Onoda um, on our last episode. And if your next big release is in July, then it means we've got something. We'll have to fill, fill the gap in May with something else. Well, we can try to find a guest uh, from somewhere and then maybe talk about some of the, the classics or even do a sort of, if anybody happens to have any questions, do a Q&A. Uh, 100%. Uh, I'm sure we'll figure yeah. something out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the the episode I'm most looking forward to is us going through Takeshi Kitano's stuff because you've you've released so many of his films and he's just got a it's not a, and it's not involved with him at all, but it's the Asakusa kid. Um, yeah, on the, the, his biography on on Netflix, but I haven't seen it. It's I, I haven't seen it yet okay. either. Yeah, I, yeah, I put it in my queue, but um, I need to check it out. But um, yeah, I just love him so much. And I, yeah, I, I, when this Sono stuff came out, people were messaging me, telling me about it. And they were like, is there any directors that are safe? And I was like, I really hope Takeshi Kitano is like, not, you know, you just don't want your heroes to fall. And uh, yeah, I think he, I, I'm sure he's, but I, I don't know, he's, he's a, a, of a certain age and he's Japanese. So I'm sure there's been some sort of sexual verbal harassment. Uh, but but uh, I haven't heard anything. But you can go. Uh, Tomorrow, if you'd like to go to Italy, and, and he'll be at the Udine Film Festival, if you if you want to say hello. Uh, oh <laughs> yeah, yes, to, isn't get, he? get a flight to uh, Italy. <laughs> uh, we're recording this on the twenty first, so I think from to twenty second uh, tomorrow is the uh, Udine Far East Film Festival, where he is the special guest of honor this year. Wow, I mean, I would absolutely love that, but I don't think my partner or my kid would be happy if I did it. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thanks, Adam. That was. Uh... That was nice. Like I said, it's always fun to get back just you and me sometimes. 
<laughs> yes, back yes. Uh, back to talking about uh, perverts. <laughs> Various perverts. Uh, yeah, so if you're not following Adam yet on on social media, you can get him on Twitter as at third window. At third window, right? Sorry, third window, I, sh- yes. I should know this by now. We've been doing it for like eight months or something. Um, or on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube as third window films. And you can find me uh, on Twitter and Letterbox as Benji Box. Uh, that's Benji Box spelt with a Y. But yeah, make sure you pick up Zoki on April 25th. It's a fucking awesome film and it just gets better on, on every rewatch. So well worth your time. Uh, and yeah, if you have any questions for us, or probably more specifically Adam than me, I suppose, uh, just just hit us up on our social media and we'll chat about it on the next episode. But until then, take care of yourselves and uh, we'll see you next time on the Third Little Films podcast. Two flights up by the third window from the right. Two flights up by the third window from the right the third window from the right two flights up that's the one with the shape pulled down that's the one where